Hello and welcome to Strictly Anime, a podcast for anime reviews and discussions by casuals for casuals. My name is Courtney. And I am Carl. <laughs> this is the Attack on Titan special event. In honor of the epic conclusion to the show that defines this generation of anime, we're reviewing every single episode of the final season. This week, we're reviewing episode 84, Night of the End. I don't know what they mean by that, but it's the night of the end. The end of the show. The end of the <laughs> night. <laughs> As always, there'll be spoilers about anything that's happened in the Attack on Titan anime, so you've been warned. I, I'm like curious. I, I didn't realize that I didn't understand this title until just before we was, we started recording. I don't, I don't know what they mean by night of the end. The end of what? Yeah, I thought the original title was night before the end. Like I had a... Like what do you what do you call those moments? Like a, a Mandela effect, <laughs> I, I suppose, um, where it makes sense because maybe this means like the end of the rumbling. But you pointed out that it is night of the end. I guess one thing that ended in this night uh, during this episode is everyone's grudges against each other. That's what I thought too. Is like is it signaling the end of the feud between at least these immediate individuals? representing Marley and Paradise, but it doesn't feel like it. I feel like there's still some some animosity there to a certain degree. Yeah, but I think they agreed to let bygones be bygones for the moment because they are just united in their one mission now to stop Aaron and the rumbling. Yeah, I don't know. It was um, a pretty good episode, definitely a, a talking episode. And I know we've called the last few of these kind of a a breather episode. I, I think this one by far has been the breathiest of all breather episodes. Mm -hmm. uh, so I hope that the action picks up a little bit in the next episode because this feels, lately it's been feeling a little more like part one of Attack on Titan where there was just a lot of exposition. Not that it was bad, it was fantastic, well-written, uh, but I, I'm kind of eager to get more action. Yeah, even though tensions are still pretty high throughout this episode because you have this ragtag group of these splintered factions, again, from the Marleyan side, from the parody side, and you think it's about to reach its boiling point. Uh, it's kind of like, I know I've made a reference to the camping episode of SpongeBob uh, when I do my AOT spoilers without context, but it's also like the marching band episode where all the band members are kind of at each other's throats. Yeah. But thankfully, it never mounts to that even though Annie threatens to turn into the female Titan and Mikasa's ready to, to slice and dice her, like the tension quickly de-escalates. Then and we get a pretty quick answer to how the scouts had coordinated getting out of Shiganshina um, that we saw in last episode's climax, and the, only, the answer to that is Hanj. So. Yeah, Hanj just shows up. I know I was very confused about that with the last episode, but uh, we did get some minor clarity there. Um, I feel a little bit better about it, but it just kind of seems like we have to accept that Han somehow found where they were at um, and it all just kind of fell into place. But um, really quick, as a reminder, the final episode of Attack on Titan, the final season, part two, was delayed a week. I know we've shared this before, but just as a reminder, there's some sort of special event happening, um, I think, the week of March 27th, 28th. So the final episode will be pushed back to April 3rd. I think April 4th, technically, in Japan. So our final review episode will be on April 6th. We're going to skip March 30th. 
so there will be a one-week gap, but then we'll be back with that final episode review on April 6th. And while nothing's official, there were some Twitter rumors going around about a possible part three to the season. I don't know where they originated from. I tried to find a source of some kind, but I think it's it's purely a rumor at this point. But some people are... I know people have been talking for a while now about uh, Attack on Titan ending with a movie, but now some people are coming out saying there's going to be a part three of the final season. I don't know what's going to happen, but just do what you got to do, Mappa, to finish the show off right. Yeah, it just boils down to someone just come out with an official announcement. Like, I think Kodansha is the one who's in charge of AOT's production. Like, I, I hate being kept in the dark, especially with a show as monumental as this, but I know that's usually not how the anime industry works. They like to just tease you and make announcements further down the road. But yeah, just any sort of news just to let us know, hey, we we know where we're going to go with this show and we'll tell you in a bit. Yeah, I think that's how you drum up the hype is by keeping everyone in suspense. But as our friend Jason called it, it's like anime blue balls. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> you never know when when it's going to be the, the official end to all of this. But as always, we'll keep you guys posted. So with this episode 84, I know we've been talking a little bit about general thoughts, but what was your, your feeling about the discussion that took place? And I guess it's the episode overall compared to what we've gotten so far in part two. I mean, it was expected that there was going to be conflict within this group, again, with everyone having their own ideas of who who are the good guys and who are the bad guys of this conflict in this war against parodies, or now this, I guess, this war against Aaron. So I think everyone had to air out their grievances before they agreed to work together. Um, obviously, it's not as action-packed or as thrilling as some of the other episodes we've seen even the the other talking ones uh but i think we just needed this slow episode not to say that was entirely slow but this other breather of an episode before i think things get kicked back to full gear looking at next week's episode Yeah, I think this episode was entirely necessary because there's no way there would be any sort of believability factor if suddenly Marley and Paradis, or rather Marley and the Scouts teamed up and everyone just fucking got along and they were able to coordinate. Even if there were some like, you know, disagreements here or there, I still wouldn't be able to believe that they're able to come together just because of a common goal had they not had this discussion to just put everything out on the table and find a way to move past it. But with that said, I'm just glad this talking episode doesn't have horrible rotoscoping. You know, like from some mm. of the episodes in part one, especially there was one piece of rotoscoping that still is burned in my mind. And it's I think it's one of the earlier episodes of part one where Reiner is walking with Gabby, Falco, and those two other scouts that died pretty early. Or scouts. Um, the candidates or whatever you called them. The the uh, the people from Liberio who the the warrior candidates yeah warrior candidates so they're like they're walking on like a dock or a pier or something and they're like I don't know just the rotoscoping like burned into my eyes forever and that just ruined kind of my immersion in like learning about Liberio and learning about like where Reiner comes from yeah I think for me I think it was the same episode it's where Gabby's talking to her family about what she did in their battle against the 
think it was the Mideast Alliance, and she's just moving her head back and forth. Oh, and, the dinner table? Yeah. Yeah, that was some weird ros- rotoscoping as well. Well, here we don't get that. We get great animation, um, but here we don't we don't have to be uh, subjected to the rotoscoping because this episode is pretty much told through the facial expressions on the characters, specifically Jean. We, we see him kind of struggle throughout this episode, um, and without the, the really good animation, focused and you know dedicated to and zoomed in on everyone's faces you don't really get as much of an impact um with everything that that's being said in this episode i would say you don't really get much animation in this episode i wrote in my notes that there were a lot of panning shots of the trees and the surrounding forest as the group continues to hash things out so you only hear bits and pieces of everybody's dialogue uh, and I thought maybe they're just taking away some of the burden of the animators because, <laughs> you know, like there's been a lot of intense scenes in this part already. And again, looking to next episode, there looks like there will be a showdown with the Jaegerists. So I, I guess it's just them kind of taking a, the animators kind of taking a breather here um, by limiting how much is animated. That's true. That That's totally fair. I, I agree. I think the the movement is super limited and we get a lot of panning shots of the environment through significant portions of the dialogue. Uh, But I at least want to give them props for the up close shots of facial expressions looking clean and portraying those emotions pretty clearly. And maybe it's also symbolic going back to Mr. Browse's speech about being stuck in the forest. That's currently where this group is physically and metaphorically with Um, The whole idea of the world being a forest full of war and violence. And so these shots are just kind of reflective of that. But we know eventually that this group does make it out of the forest uh, to continue with their mission against Aaron. Oh, I like the parallels there. I didn't even think about that. That's really good. Well, let's dive into the synopsis so we can t- we can talk a little bit deeper about what was actually said in this episode because there were a lot of interesting points brought up. Yeah, so let's gather around the campfire as we dive into our synopsis and discussion for Attack on Titan, the final season, episode 84, Night of the End. Prior to the events of the previous episode's climax, Johnny Boy dreams of a perfect world where he and Mikasa live happily ever after with their family in the interior until he is snapped back to reality by a stealthy visit from Metal Gear Hanch, who recruits the remainder of Levi's squad left in Shigan Shonen Jump District to aid in a united offensive against the genocidal maniac that is Aaron Jaeger Monster and the genocidal mission that is Operation Dualshock Rumbling. Once everyone gathers in the forest for a campfire song song, Commander Maggot rips the bandage off and incites a heated debate amongst the LD Avengers about who the real devils are in this increasingly complex conflict. Annie subsequently puts Mikasa in the hot seat about whether or not she'd risk killing her Jaeger boy if he continues with the rumbling, and forces everyone else around the campfire to reconcile with their past demons, including Yelena being a no-good, dirty-rotten, self-loathing Marleyan, and Deathwish Reiner's direct involvement in the death of Marco. Johnny Boy's late BFF. John somewhat settles his beef with Reiner by throwing hands on his death wishful face until Gabby tags in and pleads for John to save this world before everyone ends up meeting their makers in the next. John sleeps it off and agrees to save Konosekai, though he is still unwilling to reconcile with Reiner and his remorseful rear end. 
as the Eldia Avengers approach Paradis's port in an attempt to ally with the Azumabito clan and utilize their flying boat machine to observe Operation Dualshock rumbling. Peak the Putrid provides recon intel that the Jaeger bums have the port under tight watch thanks to Waka Floka, who has taken Lady Kiyomi Homi hostage. If only this flock boy fuck boy could become a flock of seagulls and fly out of my flocking sight. <laughs> oh, flock. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll get to flock. Um, but first and foremost, I think the the focus here, not the whole focus, but a big part of the focus of this, this episode is John. Like, John is struggling with who he used to be and who he wants to and needs to become. And right off the bat, we get that a little bit of that with his wonderful fantasy of living a peaceful life in the interior. And yes, that is Mikasa that he envisions as his wife. Because Is, is it? <laughs> because there's like a, a slight um, angle where you see the scar on her cheek. Like they only give you a tiny bit of the scar, but it's mm. pretty much confirming that he still has a crush on her even after all these years. And I think it's cute but also kind of sad because i don't think mikasa sees him in the same way like i know i ship mm-hmm. mikasa and Aaron, but like jean wouldn't be a bad number two option for mikasa if like she had feelings back for him i mean he envisions her becoming his wife and like having a, a you know a family and living in like a nice place and all that stuff so he you know he would take good care of her but you know the missing piece of the puzzle is whether or not she likes him back Although I think it's pretty much confirmed later in this episode when Annie confronts Mikasa that she still has, I don't know if it's romantic feelings, but she still cares deeply about Aaron. Yeah, I would never expect, I'd be surprised if Mikasa had any sort of romantic feelings towards John. But hey, the guy can can fantasize, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think to that, you know, to that point, why didn't anyone put Armin on blast for having a crush on Annie? You know, we're out here putting everyone on blast, and we'll get to that in a little bit, but, like, while we're on the topic of romances, I'm surprised someone didn't call Armin out for liking Annie. (laughs) Yeah, there were a lot of interactions that I was hoping for that we didn't get in this episode. Uh, Yeah, mostly, like, with people reacting to her return, uh, even people realizing that Levi is, is like, badly injured and, and mangled. Um, we didn't really get any of that in order to serve like the the grievances that need to be ironed out. Yeah, I agree. I think the um, the most I hate to say most disappointing return so far because it's not like it's it was wildly disappointing, but on a certain level, it was a little bit disappointing. Was Annie's return? We talked a little bit about it. I think in the last episode or maybe two episodes ago. I mean, just the hype, and I'm sure a lot of it was fan-driven hype, but just the hype around Annie finally returning or wondering what the fuck's going on with her and the crystal, um, and Armin's reaction to her, to finding out that her hardening had melted, I just feel like she just kind of slid back into the the group. Like, Mm -hmm. no one really said anything that we got to see or confronted her or anything. She just is now part of the group, and that's it. Like, that's all we're getting. I hope at some point we do have that conversation between at least Annie and Armin. Yeah, I'm sure all those Annie-Armin shippers are hoping for that as well. <laughs> They're probably screaming like, man, we were waiting for this reunion and it was nothing. <laughs> but who knows? We, we still have time. Um, so then the next part of the episode takes us back to, actually, 
uh, it's I was going to say it takes us back to present day, but it's not. It takes us to a flashback of Hanj popping up in the window and, as we alluded to earlier, answers our question from the last episode about how the Scots got in contact with Marley. And that's, all I think, all we're getting. Um, apparently, Hanj just traveled over to them and coordinated the plan. But she knocks on the window saying that she needs to speak to Jean outside. And his reaction is very interesting. He thinks to himself, um, and I wrote this down, quote, I didn't notice that. I didn't hear that. Don't go. Don't think. He basically thinks like if he doesn't acknowledge this, then he can have the cushy life that he's always wanted. But what's important here is even thinking that he still goes to meet with Hanj. And that's important. Like because these these things he's thinking, they've got me worried, right? Especially because he's showing so, sort of like a Reiner effect going on here. But his actions are proving otherwise. Which is why I kind of thought his arc in this episode was a little bit odd because we saw him kind of wrestle with the same things in the previous episode uh, with Flock promising him the life that he wanted um, and retiring as a hero of parodies. And you think that's already resolved the moment that he fires those four missing or those four gunshots that missed the target on Onyankopon. Uh, but it, we get more of a continuation here. I just thought, like, by this point, Jean would have reconciled with it. Although this is a flashback, so. True, but we still kind of get pieces of that even through the, the bonfire discussion, right? Especially mm-hmm. afterwards when he walks away. And that's one of the things I really appreciate about Attack on Titan is that the believability factor is relatively high here because Jean has been in the situation for quite some time. And to your point, you'd think he would just kind of accept it at, at a certain point and be able to move forward in the way that Aaron does. But no, even after he accepts it and goes along with the plan, he is still struggling. And not only him, but a bunch of characters still struggle with things. Like Armin, he is still struggling. You, you'd think mm. you'd find the anime trope happening here where suddenly an inexperienced character has a position of power and they take it on without you know any real training or anything. You see that all the time in different shows. But here it's a little more realistic where Armin's like, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. I was thrust into this position when Aaron got you know killed and now I have to figure it all out on my own. So even this far in, even four years after that, he is still struggling, and John is still struggling. Yeah, that, that makes sense. And then during the conversation with um, Jean, Mikasa, and Hanj, John decides to play devil's advocate and ask what will happen you know, once they stop Aaron. And the, the his questions are totally fair, and his points are totally fair. He's just trying to gauge kind of like where everyone's heads are at. But what I found interesting here was that the camera for a good part of the conversation was focused solely on John's face. And as he asks the questions and as he gets Hanja's answers, we see his facial expressions as he's kind of ultimately grappling with his own understanding of what the right thing to do is because he's still kind of, you know, part of him still wants to revert to how he used to be and just not be involved with any of this. And so I, I really appreciated that that creative choice to just show Jean's face and show how he reacts, being pretty much like told the truth straight up. But they really never give an answer as to like what they will do once they stop Aaron, right? A hundred percent, yeah. And that could be a, a writing choice because they don't want to spoil anything for later in the story, or maybe because the characters really have no fucking idea. They're just trying to get to the point where they can even stop Aaron. I don't mm-hmm. know. But then Hanj says that basically she alludes to the fact that she thinks she's at fault for all this happening. I didn't quite understand that. What did she mean about that? 
what quote specifically are you talking about? Like she kind of has this um, this moment of like self-doubt where she's like, this is all kind of my fault that Aaron's doing all of this. Um, and then I just kind of ran away from the problem. I don't, I'm like not understanding what she meant by that. I can only think back to when they were building the railroad in part one where they were trying to establish like diplomatic relations through um, the Azumabito clan or through the the Hizuru nation and those kind of fell through. Um, and then I think that's what prompted the infiltration into Marley. And I think that's where like Aaron was starting to get fed up that they weren't doing anything. And that's where he took matters into his own hands. So I think it's just that Hanch feels like she acted too slowly and that's what triggered Aaron to put these all these events into action. Oh, uh, okay. That makes sense. Um, yeah, I was trying to remember, like think back to what Hanch could have done or said. And I know there was like the, the dialogue or the exchange that she had with him in like the jail cell where he came on all strong and stuff <laughs> and like flexed his Titan powers. Um, but yeah, I was just kind of trying to think through that, but that, that makes sense. Like he, he was basically hinting to her, like, I'm going to do some shit if this doesn't get done quickly. And he kept his word. But in the last part of this exchange, Jean says, I'm forever a scout and I'm always rooting for Jean, right? Like I, I'm in his corner. I believe in him, even when we have these moments of weakness. But when he said that, I was kind of thinking through it and I'm like, this, this can be interpreted one of two ways. Jean knowing what he has to do and what the right thing is. Or he's saying I'm forever a scout as in he feels trapped, like he's forced to move forward, but because he can't, you know, let down Marco and let his friends get killed, but he does want to ultimately live a peaceful life. So what was your interpretation of that? Do you think he's saying I'm forever a scout because he's dedicated to the cause and he's going to do the right thing? Or is he saying it more in a negative light? Like I'm forever a scout, no matter what I want, I have to do this, even if I just want to run away from it all. Well, I think you have to preface that with the images that we get before he declares that I am a scout. And that's when you see like the the ghosts and the phantoms of their fallen comrades that, that stand first behind Hanj. And then eventually you see John and Mikasa included in that scene. And just to jog everyone's memory, this there was a similar scene in season three, specifically episode 53, Perfect Game where it's right before Erwin's, like, I guess, suicide charge against the Beast, the Beast Titan, and he's talking to Levi, and he's remembering all of the fallen scouts, like the, the countless lives that have died on, under his command, and Erwin's trying to accept that where with the situation at that point, um, there was no way that he would live to find out the secrets of the Jaeger basement. Um, and would have to sacrifice himself in order to allow Levi to attack the Beast Titan and for um, the other scouts to succeed against, I think, Bertolt's Colossal Titan um, and retaking Shiganshina. And I pulled some quotes from that scene. I, there's a YouTube video of this particular scene that we can share in the Discord where Erwin reflects on, again, the fallen scouts, and he comments... Can you see them, our comrades? They want to know what became of the hearts they gave. And I think Han says something similar in this episode scene where she says, it feels like those who gave their hearts for humanity's freedom 
are watching me. And so I think Hanj and John have to, are like taking into account, again, all the sacrifices that were made before them and what meaning they want to give to those sacrifices. Like John, obviously, as much as he wants that cushy life in the interior, he knows that's not what like Marco would have wanted um, or any of those scouts that had fallen. Like they were fighting for humanity's freedom. And even though humanity has evolved further from like Eldia, like the Eldians themselves into like the entire race of humanity in the world, I think Hanj makes the point that the the humanity or the freedom that those scouts were probably looking for is not like the the, the genocidal means that Aaron is currently vouching for with the rumbling. So I think when John says I am a scout, it's him not feeling trapped, but knowing that he has to fight for the right thing. Otherwise, these scouts that came before him and passed away before him their sacrifice would have had no meaning. Yeah, that's a really good point. And and kind of what you had mentioned earlier, like Hans does drop that line of something along the lines of like, our comrades would not have wanted the mass genocide of everybody just Mm -hmm. for the sake of our own protection. Like this is not what they would have wanted. Yeah, like thinking back to them, like is this the future or the freedom that they had envisioned in their missions? And uh, another thing to think about is Erwin, I think in his final like rallying speech uh, to the Scots before he ultimately died in that charge, he says, it's us who give meaning to our comrades' lives. We die trusting the living who follow us to find meaning in our lives. So that's a weight that Jean, Hans, and all these other Scots who are still alive have to carry um, and that they should put at the forefront of their minds in deciding whether or not to stop Aaron and to stop the rumbling. Really quick, talking about Erwin and his death. It's funny because you and I are watching 86 part two and no spoilers or anything, but there there's like, you know, deaths in that show that, um, you know, like have ties to like family members and are, are really just like there's a lot of weight to them because they're leaving behind people that they care about. And you get this all the time in anime, right? Like mm-hmm. someone passes away when they have like a child or a spouse or someone that really cares about them. And I think about Erwin's death and like he didn't have any immediate family members, right? But his death hits just a, just as hard, if not harder, because he never got to see the fucking basement or what was in there. And I always laugh to myself because I'm like, why do I feel so emotional about Erwin leaving behind the dream of getting to see what was in the basement when other anime characters leave behind, again, like people that rely on them and family members? It just like, it hurts just as much knowing that he never got to see what was in the basement. <laughs> yeah. And again, that that's where... And the scouts that are living have to kind of take that into account, uh, knowing what the dreams were of these individuals before them and kind of carrying those dreams with them as they find the right way to save not just Eldia, but all of humanity. Uh, Last thing before we move on to the next scene, as there was no ED, I think two episodes ago, when we watched Connie take Falco uh, back to his village of Ragako, there was no OP in this one, which was interesting. And I think it's not only so that the show can utilize all the time it has to flesh out the conclusion of the series, but I I just think with that opening speech, like being so emotional, that that speech between Hanj, uh, Mikasa, and John, 
Like it was, it wouldn't have been appropriate to have like a death metal song kind of interrupt that. Uh, and I think also just because we're so physically distant from the rumbling that it just felt appropriate that it, it just not be pushed in our face when we hear rumbling, rumbling. I That's a really good way of thinking about it. I just figured they needed more time for the episodes. Mm-hmm. They're like, let's just cut out the OP. But yeah, I like the idea of us just not having to break the slow burn of this episode by having that banger played in the middle. Yeah, <laughs> plus we don't see any of the wall titans anymore. We don't hear the, the, the stomping of their feet or their, their marching. So it would, like I said, it would just feel out of place. Well, in the next scene, we get the um, the big old campfire discussion, and there are a lot of up close shots of the wine and people drinking the wine. Mm-hmm. And I know we're past this, but damn, after what happened with the whole wine situation earlier and the spinal fluid, every time I see someone in the show drink wine, I get so nervous. And like Magath was drinking it, and John was drinking it. So now I'm like, yeah. please, please, no more <laughs> spinal fluid, please. Yeah, I question like, is is it okay for you to drink that wine, John? Although, yeah, uh, Magath wouldn't. It wouldn't matter for him. Yeah, because he's, he's not Eldian. Yeah, but oh it God, would John. matter for John. If I were John or any of like the Eldians, I would never touch wine ever again. I would be so suspicious of any food or drink anyone ever gave me. I also noticed that this campfire scene, like it shares similar. There's, there was another campfire scene um, in the season, and that was between Zeke and Levi. As they were out, like like out in the forest, keeping or Levi was just keeping his eye on Zeke. Same amount of underlying angst and tension there, but obviously here it's it's almost like a a group therapy session. Yeah, and right off the bat, you get Jean and Magath getting into it. And what I love here is that as they're arguing, you can hear the sounds of the stew boiling louder and louder, kind mm, of playing I didn't into. Notice that. It's like, yeah, it's like playing into the argument, getting more and more heated and their blood boiling, or at least John's blood boiling. Um, so I just noticed that. No real comments about what they're actually saying. I'm not surprised Magath is behaving the way that he is, and I'm not surprised it's getting to John of all the characters. But uh, yeah, I just noticed that. I was like, why is the boiling so loud? And then I was like, oh, I think they're trying to play into the moment. And after they're done arguing, I guess, Hanj kind of like, she she's definitely the peacekeeper in this whole situation. And she does drop that line saying, it's silly to talk about the past when none of us were there. And I'm like, good point. Just like when Kaya blew up at Gabby in part one of the final season for essentially the same reason, when Gabby was pointing fingers at her and she's like, well, me and my mom weren't, weren't there when all of this happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also like that Hanj changes the way that John should essentially interpret Magath's kind of like standoffish behavior. And she says something to the effect of like, you know, in Magath's eyes, we're weird island devils who would give up their own security in order to help the people who want to exterminate us. So I think she's, again, trying to bridge that gap between Marley and the scouts by helping each side understand where the other is coming from especially because for Magath anyway, this is all new. Like Gabby and Falco, they've kind of been going through this journey of finding peace with Paradise or with the Scouts. Magath is brand new to this. So of course he's going to be the fucking annoying one (laughs) at the conversation. And then we move to the exchange between Annie and Mikasa. And I have to say, Annie's had a lot of character development despite being in a fucking crystal for four years. Mm -hmm. I don't know if anyone else feels this way, but I feel like her character is just on fast forward mode because she's been absent for like four years within the the lore of the show. And 
I don't know, maybe like hearing things from Hitch and Armin's side while she was in the crystal made her change her her ways or her viewpoints. But, you know, as she's provoking Mikasa in this moment, she quickly changes her stance and says that she understands Mikasa wanting to protect someone she loves because Annie also wants to protect someone she loves, her dad. And she asks Mikasa for her help. But I'm like, this is not the Annie we knew at all. Yeah. Like just all of her behaviors since she came out of that crystal, that is not the Annie we knew because we went right into part two of the season having watched the um, OVA that that actually follows Annie right before she turns into the female Titan. And I'm like, this is not the Annie we knew. Like, who is this bitch? Yeah, I'm pretty sure the last time Annie and Mikasa saw each other was back in season one. I think uh, Mikasa had cut off Annie's fingers in her female titan form to prevent her from climbing the wall and that's what led to annie getting pummeled by Aaron. so there's there's definitely some bad blood between them since uh from that from that episode but i guess it's just because annie has had time to reflect while in her crystal shell and i think in that moment where she's getting pummeled by Aaron, you, you see the memory her memory flash of her father thinking back to her father and i think that's where she was like maybe this war isn't worth all the trouble and then that's why she had to like she put herself in the crystal um until a point where she would be able to return to her father because i know she mentioned it previously but like her mission at that point was to find a way back home to her father yeah, and I just think, again, going back to our discussion from the last episode where I felt like everything kind of fell into place, but we didn't have any context around it, which feels unusual for the way Attack on Titan is written. I, I may have even said about Annie specifically in the last episode, I'm not sure. But um, here it's like I, I'm having a difficult time believing that Annie's made this like 180 in her character development or Rather, she's progressed her character development by making a 180 in her approach to this whole situation. And I'm having a hard time kind of believing that it's happened as quickly as it has without the context around, like, what did Armin and Connie say to Annie when they saw her eating pie? Like, how did they convince her to join them? Or what were mm -hmm. her feelings? Like, I know she's had a change of heart because she alluded that to Hitch, saying, like, I listened to you guys for four years. Hear me out. Let me explain why I did what I did. She's had plenty of time to reflect, but I just, I need more. I, I need more understanding around like what is going on with Annie because she feels like a slightly different character than what I'm used to. Yeah, I think the caveat was just that she was able to listen to everyone's thoughts while she was in the crystal. Uh, but yeah, I, I still think the, thinking that her character development came after like she got pummeled by Aaron. <laughs> She's like, this shit ain't worth it. You're, yeah. <laughs> And then we move into the final portion of the bonfire, campfire discussion, whatever it is. And it's all about Yelena, or at least it's centered around Yelena. And it's revealed that she is, in fact, a Marleyan and that she did what she did because she didn't agree with the way Marley was doing things. And she had this whole fantasy in her head about Zeke, you know, taking over the world or whatever. And she would be right by his side, blah, blah, blah. We know she's fucking crazy. But to me, what stood out here is that it was so weird seeing Yelena pet the cart titan. Like, is this the first time we've seen anyone give affection towards a titan? Like, she just, like, raises her Besides hand. Besides Hanj. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Hanj is more of, like, I feel like hers is always more of a curiosity. But here's, mm. like, someone's petting 
a titan and then like the cart titan like she Pete closes her eyes as if she's enjoying being pet and she's sitting there yeah. like a like a dog anyway like she's just kind of curled up hanging out and it was just so weird to me also because it's Yelena I would think that Peek and Yelena hate each other so it's weird that she's petting her and that Peek's okay with that the whole thing was just kind of odd to me it happens for like five seconds but I could not get over it <laughs> I was like what the fuck mm-hmm I also noted that there's a parallel between like how Yelena as a Marleyan was kind of going against her own homeland. Um, reminded me how like the sequestered Eldians in Marley who become Arnimary Marleyans, they kind of go against their own homeland in fighting against parodies. So interesting parallel once we learn more about Yelena's true heritage and that she was just brainwashed by Zeke. She wasn't actually from a, a different country. She was just in love with the fact and enticed by the idea of saving the world. Yeah, and it goes back to that running theme of like everyone thinking that what they're doing is the right thing, but others not necessarily agreeing with that. So like Elena possibly had really good intentions here um, and didn't agree with the way Marley was handling everything and wanted to change the world and then i don't know she went fucking crazy i have no clue and i think she, she also starts calling out like everyone else's sins um after that point and like i don't want to like list all of them out unless you have them in your notes what i took away is that obviously each person in this group is equally guilty of war crimes or crimes against humanity and so there is no single person to blame but what really matters is, as with Aaron, is just moving forward from that. Yeah, 100%. She puts everyone on blast. And as much as I hate Yelena, it's actually a really good thing that she did that because it evens out the playing field for everyone. It, to your point, makes everyone realize because she's kind of like a third party almost in the situation. It, it forces everyone to realize that everyone is guilty here and there's no way we can move forward unless you all accept that and get over it. And to me, the the biggest thing to note from her kind of like dishing it out to everyone is the the issue with Marco. So actually before that, how, how did Yelena get all this info on everybody? Like she just knows way too much about the other fucking characters. And I'm like, who told you all of this? I'm sure it was Aaron because she would have conversations with Aaron and had aided Zeke in getting Aaron to agree to Zeke's euthanization plan before we eventually find out Aaron was just using uh, using Zeke and Elena. That's a good point. And I'm sure because she was seen as an ally for a little while, maybe um, some of the other people had you know, confided in her, shared information with her, which now I'm sure they're like, oops, shouldn't have done that. But yeah, she does bring up Marco. And it, interestingly, she does so after Jean tries to brush off everything that she's saying, right? She's putting everyone on blast. Everyone feels a bit shameful. And then Jean's kind of like, you know, he finishes his stew and's like, well, thanks for that. And so she decides to dig deeper and brings up Marco. And, um, you know, Reiner reveals that, one of the last things that Marco said was we haven't even talked this through, which I'm sure we saw in the anime, but to this group, he's revealing it for essentially the first time. And that is such a good point. And John, you know, acknowledges that, you know, that we haven't tried to talk any of this through. We've just been trying to kill each other the whole time. Yeah, I actually went back. It was in season three, part two, uh, episode 52, Descent. We see the scene where I think uh, Reiner... Bertolt and Annie um, 
they they leave Marco for dead just because he had overheard their their true plans and their infiltration of parodies. And it Marco's last words were in fact, we haven't even had a chance to talk this through. Which again is just brilliant writing, um, and brings things full circle. And Courtney's mentioned many times that you should never leave any any quote or any detail in the show unturned um, because now it's it's we're fe- we're feeling the full effect of the of Markle's last words in that now we are seeing diplomacy being championed amongst this again this group of of, of like ragtag warriors now united and fighting against Aaron and the rumbling and there's even like a visual symbolism of this uh, i can share a picture of this in the discord where i think at the beginning of the campfire scene you see the group kind of split up where it's like the marley inside with annie reiner gabby falco magath and the cart titan and then the scouts on the other side so there's like a, a line of division but as they're starting to talk with each other and iron out their grievances there's a shot of them from the top down where they're all sitting in a circle equally distant from each other as if like it's it's a <laughs> kind of like a, a united nations or like a like a council like a round table of sorts right in that now they're starting to kind of see each other eye to eye yeah the the timing of both yolena putting everyone on blast and reiner revealing one of marco's last you know last words essentially it, it's it's going to have much more of an impact than any other moment that I think this would have been revealed. And we also get, I guess, kind of an explanation as to why Reiner did a 180 back when Marco got eaten. And I have always been so confused by that since I first watched that episode. And it's when Reiner, like, basically allows Marco to get killed, but then suddenly his, like, a, a switch is flipped in his head, and he's like, why is he be, being eaten right now? And he's freaking out. And Reiner doesn't specifically explain it because I think he's confused himself. But John kind of just says, like, the guilt got to his head. So I'm guessing that's the best explanation we're going to get as to why Reiner did that sudden 180. But am I the Mm -hmm. only one who, like, has always been wondering about that? I was so confused. I figured he had some sort of, like, split personality disorder. And that's what I thought they were going to eventually reveal later. But here it's just he couldn't handle the fucking guilt. Yeah, I figure, like, we've seen at this point that Reiner kind of has, like, dual personalities that he is constantly wrestling with, um, where it's the one that he, where he acts like a warrior, and that's exactly what he did in that moment of Marco's death. But then he flips a switch and turns into that, that timid warrior candidate that we saw in the flashbacks of, of his training, where he was always the one that was kind of ranked last because... He wasn't viewed as, like, capable of the job. Uh, so I think that also just adds context to that scene where we see Reiner suddenly question, like, why is Marco being eaten alive? Yeah, it was such a strange bit of behavior. Um, but looking back on it, I guess, you know, he just maybe he just needed to flip that switch and just detach from the decision that he had just made to basically put Marco to death because he overheard something. Uh, but as they're talking this through, we see Jean trying to just move past it. However, Reiner keeps pushing the subject and keeps being all like, you know, self-pity and whatnot because that's how Reiner does things. And John basically snaps. He snaps and, and beats the shit out of Reiner. And I know that you 
had a bit of confusion around this moment when we first watched the episode. And to me, I think what's happening here is like, again, John is trying to move past it. He's grappling with so much mentally right now. And he's just trying to say, like, okay, I, I've learned this horrific news about my great friend, my good friend, and I just need to just like move past it and accept it. But because Reiner keeps like, like beating a dead horse basically and just saying like, no, it's all my fault, blah, blah, blah. John being the son today, he is just fucking loses it. And, you know, after he kicks Gabby, you know, which was kind of, you know, interesting that Gabby gets kicked. <laughs> what I thought was also interesting is that Magath is shocked at Gabby after she's mm-hmm. basically begging John to help them. And I think he's realizing that the kids in the situation are the ones looking toward the bigger picture and finding peace with Paradise, despite, well, I guess not Falco in this situation, but despite Gabby being the loudest about them being devils before her eyes were open to how Paradise actually is. And then after that, John walks away, and we see him in the forest covering his ears. And again, the guy is just going through a lot, and now he finds out what really happened to Marco, and then he has the enemy begging him to help him despite this fact. It's it's a lot for him to go through, but come morning, he's calmed down, and he says, of course, I will help all of you guys. But before that, your boy pulled out a great one-liner. Yeah, I think he, Levi, my boy Levi, came out with the quote of the episode which is so damn noisy because he was just <laughs> sleeping the entire time or trying to sleep anyway yeah. and I, it's interesting that he wasn't part of this conversation at all but the more i thought about it uh i think levi just doesn't care about the squabble or like revisiting past grudges we kind of saw that he reconciled with that when he attacked zeke in the force the first time or attacked zeke in the forest in part one after all his comrades got turned into titans at this point, Levi really just has one grudge, and that's his grudge against Zeke. Yep. Well, I'm glad he's <laughs> on the road to recovery. I want to see what and, happens. Yeah, still <laughs> has that dry humor to him. <laughs> and then the end of the episode, we find out that Flock is troublesome as always, because now the Jaegerists are at the port where the Azumabito clan is at. Yeah, we see that he's holding, I think her name, Lady Kiyomi, he's holding her hostage. And, you know, fucking Flock, every time I see his face, I just get angry. Because going back to what I said about um, fighting for the people, the fallen comrades that came before the scouts, if you remember, Flock was one of the sole survivors of Erwin's suicidal charge. And that's what I saw in the um, the episode where Erwin was talking to Levi. And this is how he decides to honor their deaths is by being this brainwashed Jaegerist who claims that he's fighting for LDS freedom, but he's he's holding people hostage. Um, not just the, the volunteers now, but again, like a leader of the Azumabito clan. And I don't know, like it, it's just such, it feels like Flock is doing such a dishonor, again, to the people that came before him. And it's actually interesting um, again, we can share the image of the parallels between Erwin getting visited by the phantoms of the scouts and Hanj getting visited by the phantoms of the scouts. There is a shot of one scout in particular who has flocks, who looks like he has flocks hairdo from season three, where it's like the little... The little poop on his head? Yeah, which it, it's like it's implying that flock 
had died with those other scouts. <laughs> I mean, I I would love it if that was the case. <laughs> I mean, I, that'd I, be so funny. <laughs> I guess it's like like the old flock definitely did die because now you have this snooty ass um, that thinks he's all like, Although, he's the shit. The old flock was also fucking annoying because he was so like doubting and so cowardly. Yeah, cowardly. And Aaron was like, "Shut up! You're gonna charge into the Beast Titan. Just do it." <laughs> Which yeah. you know, like to a certain degree, I don't blame Flock for reacting the way that he did back when he was first introduced. But damn, I don't know. Like Flock is who he is, and I'm curious to see how all this shit goes down in the next episode. And speaking of the next episode, that's episode 85, Traitor. What did you think about the previews that we saw? I fucking love whatever faces Armin and Connie are making. I think they're trying to like you know fudge their way through some lie and they're obviously Armin's sweating bullets and connie's stupid so he's sweating bullets i want to know what they're saying i'm excited for this episode but i am super scared about this title because every time they drop a really interesting title that means you know just brace yourselves for something horrible to happen yeah uh traitor right the title traitor and i actually love the japanese version of this word uragirimono oh yeah <laughs> i just love how it sounds and i know that um, no spoilers, but this becomes a, a thing in one of the parts of Jojo's Bizarre Adventure. Uh, yeah, it's just interesting to think who is the tra uh, traitor that the title is referring to. And we had a conversation about this where is do we think that it's, you know, Flock being the traitor uh, by killing off the remainder of his fellow scouts or his former fellow scouts? Or is it a traitor within the Jaegerists that turns the tides for them? Yeah, my theory is that it's a traitor among the Jaegerists. Because if we go back to the previous episode or two episodes ago, you had that conversation between Shaddis and the cadet with the glasses after Shaddis had saved them and he goes to thank them. And Shaddis tells those cadets that there will essentially come a time where they have to make a choice and rise up. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, for now, just kind of make your way back into the ranks of the Jaegerists and wait for that moment to arrive. And we also still don't know who was watching in the window. So it could mm. be one of those cadets. I think you were kind of uh, thinking through this in our previous episode. It, it could be one of the cadets that Shaddis had talked to, talk to, realizing, oh, my God, like things are in motion. Now is the time for us to rise up yeah. essentially <laughs> but my other theory and i hope i'm wrong is that maybe it's john because again i know the guy is struggling with everything going on but please my sunday day boy don't do anything crazy don't pull a connie on us oh, and like wig right. out like please stay true i know that you are you're on the fence right now but you've been making the right choices continue to do that i'm always in your corner rooting for you so i'm gonna i'm gonna put my money on the trader being a jaegerist you know, kind of coming forward and, and putting a stop to Flock. I forgot that John is kind of a go-between uh, between the Jaegerists and and I, I call them the LD Avengers, so. I think the more obvious, uh, obvious in the sense that maybe more people will think this way is maybe like Magath will be the traitor, right? Because mm. he's still not fully aligned with the scouts. Um, I think Falco and, and Gabby are pretty much confirmed to not be traitors. Like, I don't think they would do that. That would be out of character for them. Mm -hmm. um, maybe it's Annie. Maybe something happens where, like, she makes a, decision, a snap decision based on protecting her dad. I don't fucking know. I'm just really scared, okay? I'm so scared. Please don't let it be Jean. Yeah, it looks like it'll be a return to the action next week with, it looks like another sneak attack episode as, you know, the LD Avengers 
face off against the Jaegerist. I always wonder if manga readers listen to us as we make our predictions and just laugh. <laughs> laugh knowing, you know, <laughs> you know, laughs in manga because they, they've read the manga, they know what happens next. But props to you guys for not spoiling anything and just kind of watching our reactions as they happen live. And that brings us to our final thoughts for Attack on Titan, the final season, episode 84, Night of the End. So how many campfire genres out of 10 would you give this episode? I would give it a, I would give it like a 7.5 out of 10. Um, I, I think it's, again, crucial to the story. You need this discussion to feel invested and feel convinced that the scouts and the Marlians will be able to team up to any extent. Um, I I just felt like overall, though, it, it's a slow burn. And, um, you know, there's some pretty decent reveals here, but really there were no mind-blowing reveals. We've had much bigger reveals in previous episodes. Here it's more just some of the lingering questions and kind of um, loose threads that we've had throughout the story finally kind of all come together, specifically the scouts learning about what actually happened to Marco and all of that. So I, I think that this was a, a solid episode, but nothing that kind of left me on the edge of my seat. What about you? Yeah, I would also give it seven and a half out of 10. To your same point, I think it was an episode that was necessary uh, to kind of bury the hatchet with the old wounds and grievances that all of these characters have against each other. And they definitely needed to be ironed out so that they could just be singular and focused in their mission to stop Aaron moving forward. And I, I think I kind of alluded to this uh, last time, where again, it's it's these different factions that have different ideas of who's right and who's wrong, but they're all coming together. And it just makes me think like if this was Aaron's plan all along to establish these sort of diplomatic relations by being a sort of scapegoat. Um, with the rumbling and I know this is kind of like the, the third talking episode uh, consecutively but just because it's a talking episode I don't think it means that it's it's terrible I feel like with this episode it's the calm before the next storm that is brewing and we only have three episodes left to really see that storm so who knows what that's going to look like yeah, I'm pretty confident at this point. There's no fucking way they're planning to finish Attack on Titan this season or in this part of the season. There's going to be more here. I hope there's more here because if they're going to try to finish the story in three episodes, like I don't know anything about what happens. I haven't read the manga, but I can just assume with all of the, you know, kind of just the, the open ends here, I, I feel like there's going to be more. What that right. more is, we still have to find out and when it'll happen, we still have to find out, but we'll continue to keep you guys posted. But thank you, everyone, for joining us once again. We love you guys. We appreciate that you tune in every single week to hear us talk all about Attack on Titan because we fucking love this show. And we can't wait to find out what happens in the next episode. And that wraps up this special episode of Strictly Anime. If you enjoy the podcast and would like to support the show, then head over to patreon.com slash the Strictly series and subscribe on your favorite podcast service so you can be notified when new episodes premiere every Monday and when new Attack on Titan episodes are released every Wednesday. Join our Discord to continue the conversation. Follow us on Instagram at the Strictly series and on Twitter at Strictly series. And check out our website, thestrictlyseries.com, where you'll find more info on Strictly JoJo, our other podcast dedicated to JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. All links are in the description. Thank you so much for listening. And as always, stay safe, stay healthy, stay weeb. Sasageyo. Shinzo wo sasageyo.